Welcome to the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Jones, and I will be hosting our series on phenomenal teaching. This series is a collection of conversations with various authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers whose work has influenced the PEBC teaching framework. In each episode, we'll explore how the strands of planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment cultivate student agency and understanding for each and every learner. Thank you so much for listening in. Today, I'm honored to have Ellen Keene as our guest on the Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. Ellen is one of the founders of the PEBC, and she currently consults and coaches in districts and schools around the country. Many of you might know Ellen through her numerous publications or presentations. She is the author, co-author, contributor, or editor of Mosaic of Thought, To Understand, Talk About Understanding and Engaging Children, Comprehension Going Forward, Adolescent Literacy, The Teacher You Really Want to Be, and the well-known this Not That series through Heinemann. Welcome and good morning, Ellen. Thank you, Michelle. So glad to have you today. I'm delighted to be with you. Well, let's just jump in. Let's start off with just a short reflection on how the PEBC began and where it is today. Well, it's, I will do my very best to make that short, but it is, it's, um, it's rather a, um, a sort of legacy story. There were um, a group a group of us who gathered in the summer of 1984 um, that we were brought together by Susan Zimmerman and her law partner, Gail Clapper, because they had between them um, nine children that they uh, wanted to attend the Denver Public Schools and were interested in doing whatever they could um, for from an outsider's perspective to support Denver Public Schools. And so they brought together a group of us, um, I was teaching at the time in Douglas County, to sort of talk about what that might look like. It was a very small meeting in a very humble <laughs> a little room. And that was really the genesis of the PEBC. It was at that time called Public Education Coalition. Um, and it really was, uh, it evolved as an organization that um, sought to understand um, first, what teachers need, not to do unto teachers, but to listen and to understand um, and to um, provide professional learning opportunities that were tailored to teachers' needs. And I think um, from my um, continuing involvement, I think that mission hasn't changed a bit. It's about understanding what educators, principals and teachers, um, coaches and consultants need in their work with children and then to um, be very, um, to differentiate services based on, on what those needs are. Ellen, thank you so much for that brief history of the PEBC. As you mentioned, the professional learning work continues at the PEBC, and we always strive to meet the needs of teachers and students and districts and systems. One of the questions that drives our work is, how do we teach for agency and understanding? How might you answer that question? 
Well, I've been immersed, uh, Michelle, as you know, for many years in the research on the surrounding um, that question uh, and its two key components, agency and understanding, um, and have written about that and have read widely others' theoretical writing about agency and understanding. And of course, there is, um, there, there's no one way to answer that. But I actually would would echo, I think, a little bit about what I said about the PEBC's mission, because to teach for agency and understanding means to know each student very, very well. I remember one of our early leaders in this field um, when the PEC was in its very nascent stage was Dr. Donald Graves from the University of New Hampshire, who uh, has written classic books that most of your listeners will be familiar with. But Don used to say, you have to know 10 things about a child. And he meant about a child's after school or out of school life before you can teach well. And so to me, teaching with a, for agency and understanding is teaching well. And he drove home to us in those early years. And I think it's even more relevant now that we need to know children very, very well. Um, it not and, and that definitely includes their out of school lives, um, not to be invasive, but to be able to respond in a differential way um, and, and to be able to help them in their own way develop understanding um, and, and agency. So it's, it, it's a question that has to be answered, I believe, on an individual basis, and that classroom teachers are um, are, are absolutely the the key that unlocks both of those doors to agency and understanding. So in Wendy Wardhofer's new book, Phenomenal Teaching, which I know you just recently got your copy of. Great, yeah. It's gorgeous. And in that particular book, the PEBC teaching framework has been published for the first time in a really public, transparent way. And, you know, I think Wendy just did a really beautiful job of trying to bring the strands of the PEBC teaching framework to life. Um, in, I, Go ahead. I agree. No, go ahead. <laughs> and I was, you know, you think about those strands around planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment. Uh, those of us at the PEBC believe that those instructional practices also lead to agency and understanding. So when you think about what you just shared with us about really knowing kids well in order to teach for agency and understanding, and you couple that with instructional strategies, I'm wondering if we can dive into a short conversation about the thinking strategies. Um, you are very well known, of course, in this area for your, your book with Susan Zimmerman, Mosaic of Thought, and all your additional writing and work in the area of comprehension and thinking strategies. I'm wondering um, if I can ask you kind of, a, kind of an edgy question today. Sure. How are those strategies, after all these years, still relevant today? And what do they look like and sound like in classrooms when they're being implemented successfully with impact? That's a great question, and um, it won't surprise you to hear that I think they are still very relevant today. Um, it, it, honestly, what the strategies do is they, they, they perform a fairly simple function in the interaction, in the, um, the, the sort of th joint thinking of children and children and teachers, and that is to provide a language that directs 
our our thinking, our understanding um, into certain focused areas. So if we're um, inviting children to ask questions rather than the all too frequent us asking them questions, we're inviting a, a level of discourse that by definition will be deeper. If we're asking children to make decisions about what's important as opposed to asking them to name the main idea. Um, we're inviting kids to think critically across all of the things that might be important um, in, in a text or in a social or natural world situation, in mathematics, in science, across the board. So they're relevant across content areas, but they're relevant in the way that they help both teachers and students shape their thinking in order to go below the surface, in order to not respond only based on what a text may say or on what their experience may be, but to be able to um, be, uh, be a shared or a joint language among children and between teachers and children uh, to explore understanding much more deeply. So when you think about that idea of, you know, going into depth and exploring more deeply, if I'm a teacher who perhaps is new to thinking strategies or someone who's been implementing them for a number of years, what are some recommendations you have around planning with the thinking strategies in mind? How might a teacher be able to, you know, think about their content, think about their curricular standards and then the set of tools or the set of strategies, how, how might we plan so that the strategies can support that deep understanding? Yeah, that's a great question, too. Um, and the answer is there are almost an infinite number of ways to use the strategies <laughs> to, to plan. So I'll just give you maybe a couple of examples, and then you can ask me, you know, for more if, it, if it's not clear. So in some districts um, where I've done curriculum and, and um, professional learning work, we use the strategies as an overall umbrella, th sort of thinking strategy umbrella, under which we... Um, collect relevant standards and weave, as those standards are taught, weave thinking strategy instruction through that unit of study, through that uh, genre expl exploration, through those standards. So that's one way to think of them as a sort of overarching um, global focus that we're teaching kids to deploy um, and use, if we're teaching kids to, um, to synthesize, um, then that's going to be sort of woven subtly into each of the strands, each of the stra um, standards that, that we teach during that time. Now, that doesn't mean you can't use other strategies. And of course, they're very integrated and we can teach them in a very integrated way. But that's one way that school districts have, I think, very successfully used the strategies so that there is, there's a, a way that we're kind of practicing thinking along with, with um, you know, becoming more proficient readers and writers, mathematicians, scientists, whatever it is. Um, the, the other way um, that I think has, is very, very successful is to help kids become um, nimble, I guess is the word I want to use in sort of using strategies. They know this, each strategy well enough that they can deploy that strategy when the text or the task demands it. 
right? So there has to be some explicit um, instruction around those strategies that has to be planned and, and built into um, often people doing it this way, do it at the beginning of the year so that throughout any text or task, try to say that fast three times, um, <laughs> that we can, that kids can say, okay, really what's needed here is for me to ask questions or is for me to, you know, what's, uh, what's being demanded in this task is that I synthesize what I've read um, from several other sources and try to, uh, you know, combine, weave together all of the ideas in a cogent way. So, you know, that's another approach. And that way, it's it's very dependent on the child saying, oh, this is what I need to do. You have to be metacognitive and aware to do it that way. And so that implies just a different way of, of planning for that instruction. It tends to be more heavily weighted um, in the early part of the year. The other way that I've seen a lot of people um, do is to, when districts have, um, I choose this word carefully, imposed um, particular um, programs or uh, instructional practices on teachers um, is, is to sort of elaborate on those practices, those prescribed practices, um, by using thinking strategies to amplify um, what's in the program by incorporating thinking strategies to, again, take them, um, take them more deeply into the, into the text. That also, you know, I mean, I think all of these approaches really take your larger question of agency into mind because they're all based on a gradual release of responsibility model, which I know is very much part of the, the framework that PEBC uses. And it's there is explicit instruction in the strategies, but through any one of those ways, it's gradually released so that the student is independent in saying, hey, what do I need as a thinking tool right now? To be even a little bit more specific, um, I know that you all have used a planning document that Debbie Miller and um, Sam Bennett worked on together, which is a, if you can envision a, um, a circle um, that is divided into a, a pie shape, um, basically one thirds and one third and two thirds. And to the, the revision that I have on that planning tool, it's a planning tool for a lesson or a week, I've just added what thinking strategy is most relevant to the learning outcome anticipated here. So if we say that we have a, a learning outcome of, use, of understanding how to use dialogue as a writer, then I have just added a little part to that document that says, Hmm, what thinking strategy or strategies is going to be most useful for the you know for children who are attempting to to use dialogue to communicate messages in their narrative writing? So that might be inference. You know, we don't want to have the characters tell everything right, as many kids are, are prone to do. So it, and it might be more than one. So it can come down to a daily planning level as well. So the first example I gave was, was very global. That's a very focused daily um, way to incorporate strategies into planning. 
Thank you, Ellen. I think that really helps um, hearing your thinking, your think aloud, if you will, around all of the different ways that you can envision the thinking strategies really serving students as tools for deeper understanding, not as activities, not as tips or tricks, not as one more thing to do, but really, like you said, thinking about which strategy or strategies is going to help learners understand at a understand more deeply or at a higher level. Exactly, exactly. And that thinking, frankly, Michelle, has evolved so much since 1997 um, when the book came out. I mean, there's still, the research is very, very clear about the need for explicit instruction in um, comprehension thinking strategies. And now we've figured out a lot of different ways to plan for and to implement that explicit instruction. It can be done in conferences, it can be done in small groups, it can be done in a very responsive way to where a chi- what a child is attempting to do as a reader or a writer, right then in the moment. So it's, I think, the flexibility around um, you uh, implementing thinking strategies with children is huge uh, now, quite different from when we first wrote Mosaic. Um, and the, the, the tricky part of that is that it, when we are... Um, less planful about it, we do tend to do those sort of tics and, tricks and, and uh, what did you say? Tricks and <laughs> tips and tricks. Tips. I keep wanting to say tricks <laughs> as in the little bug in the mountains. That's not it. Um, we'll have to edit that part out. Uh, but the, the it is easy to fall into these sort of you know, oh, just do this little, um, I always love the oxymoron, thinking strategy worksheet. <laughs> Right, like no, (laughs) that's not how it works. It's about conversation between and among children and teachers. It's it's very discourse based. It can also really inform the quality of a child's writing, Um, but it's it's very very much about using thinking strategies thoughtfully in our discourse with kids and, um, and, and inviting them to do that in their writing. So it's an expressive language tool, really. Thank you so much. I think that gives our listeners um, a, just a different perspective and some more depth when we're thinking about thinking strategies, if you will. Um, I know in your work, you um, travel all around the country. You spend a lot of time in classrooms, side by side with students, side by side with teachers, really thinking about what's working, what could work better, and what kind of changes or revisions do we need to make to our instruction? When you think about that, um, I'd like you to think globally. When you think about us as a nation, what are we getting right and where do we need to grow? (laughs) Well, this is going to be quite a long podcast, (laughs) probably (laughs) not what you intended. (laughs) You know, I I can, uh, I think, hope. I hope I can make this simple without making it simplistic. I, I I do think that we need to think about our pedagogical challenges, children's learning challenges, in in a far more simple way, and that is getting to know them very well, tailoring our responses with a wide range of of teaching strategies that are at a teacher's fingertips and that develop over a career of teaching. So we, you know, we of course need to provide a lot of professional learning support um, so that we have a range of, of 
approaches, say, different ways to go in a in a conference. And but I I worry, um, really worry, about the prescriptive nature of the programs packages. Um, that that proliferate now um, throughout this country and the lack of trust, I'll be very straightforward here, that is implied when a district or a school purchases a packaged program and tells their teachers to use it with fidelity. You will never... and. <laughs> have the same kind of learning outcomes, particularly with respect to agency and depth of understanding, which is the heart of what you're doing. Um, you will never have the kind of student outcomes when you're working through a program that way. It's just not possible. We have to trust that teachers, and we have to invest in the kind of professional learning that takes teachers to the point where they don't need a script, which is feels inauthentic in the classroom, um, and it, at best can address um, children's individual needs superficially. So it, nationally, um, the discussion between developing, investing, investing in the de de developing teachers' understanding and knowledge um, and practice um, is almost lined up in opposition to, I'll say it this way, desperate um, school district administrators and policymakers who are um, saying you may use um, these six scientifically based programs, for example, um, in your state school district or school, um, none of which have the power to impact children the way a well-timed conversation with a well-informed teacher can do. They will never accomplish that. And I, you know, I've been in teaching and learning for 39 years and it is, we have tried this um, prescriptive approach many, many different ways, and it has always been rejected in the end. And always, no matter how the pendulum swings, we end up with saying that, and many, many studies concur, that, that a, a well-informed teacher is irreplaceable, is by any kind of a of a program, and honestly, that's just common sense. We shouldn't even need research to tell us that, and yet we do. So when I think uh, globally, I worry a great deal about um, how dependent um, people can become when those uh, when programs are foisted upon them, um, and you know that's just not the kind of of professional development we want. Ellen, thank you so much for really elevating, I think, the craft of our profession and the scholarly approach that all teachers take to their work and the desire that teachers have to be learners and researchers and to continually be improving their instructional strategies with their students. When we think about the work that you've offered our field, you have given us all many, many opportunities to learn, to reflect, to practice, to refine. And you know, you mentioned you've been in education for 39 years. You're a consummate learner and researcher and writer. So why don't we end today by you sharing us a little bit about what are you working on now? 
What are you <laughs> thinking about? What are you, you know, give us a little teaser on what we might expect from you in the weeks, months, or years to come that will help us keep growing in our practice. Oh, I'm so excited about this. I'm so excited. I can't even stand it. I, yeah. So I, <laughs> I love this question because I'm so excited about what I'm working on right now. And this is something um, that I developed. It's a model for literacy instruction that I developed when I was still in the classroom 145,000 years ago. And it, um, it is a model that allows teachers to integrate reading and writing completely so that instead of two different lessons, one for reading, one for writing, the vast majority of the time in this model, which I call the literacy studio, um, in this model, integration is the norm rather than the exception. So that if we're working with a child in what I call a crafting or children in what I call a crafting session, that's the, usually the whole class, um, the, the, we are uh, teaching, let's say, out of a mentor text or out of a piece of writing, um, both reading and writing simultaneously. That one sentence may come out focused on the reader and the next sentence we share comes out focused on the writer but that they are not, um, they're not standalone focuses. They're, um, they are really integrated into all of our discourse with children at the large group, small group, and in individual level. And that children are given a great deal more choice in terms of how they spend their time. They may spend their time, independent work time, as a reader for three days, and then shift to being a writer for three days. And I, I really think um, this model will help to address what it, teachers often speak about as their biggest challenge, which is the lack of time. We do not have time to, um, I, I hate this word, but cover, and that it becomes just that, it becomes covering, which is superficial at best, all of the content that they are supposed to um, you know, to provide for kids. So it really cuts in half um, the time that we set aside for a lesson for reading and a lesson for writing. And in the end, um, boy, the research goes back to 1983 on this, of an article, very seminal article written by David Pearson and Rob Tierney, um, that calls for the complete integration of um, of reading and writing it makes more sense to kids and they you know they see them as inter as the interchangeable processes that they are as a writer I I spend many of my days reading and and then I go back and and I'm able to write so it really is just going back in the PEBC's tradition to making um, our classrooms as authentic as they can possibly be. And the integration of reading and writing is the real world. Um, I think we've, we've um, sort of worked around the edges of this integration idea by using mentor texts, um, reading mentor texts to children when we're thinking about writing objectives um, and vice versa. But we haven't really, in my view, yet completely integrated the two. And I'm lucky enough to be working with a client 
um, who has done this. And the outcomes, both the traditional kinds of outcomes that we hope we see for children uh, because they free us to do good things, um, but the outcomes in terms of children's choice, agency for sure, and their understanding, the depth of their understanding has been phenomenal to use the the word of the day um, to watch. Um, kids are um, so much more committed when they have choices about how they spend their independent time. And of course, we're keeping track of it and know that we need to balance out reading and writing um, independent work. But it is, um, I'm very, very excited about it. And, um, and I'm writing that now it's manuscript is due January 1st. I never make a deadline, but I'm, you know, we'll see. I, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever made a deadline on any of my writing, but you know, I'll shoot for January 2nd, just to keep them guessing. <laughs> well, Ellen, thank you so much. And You're I know welcome. that you know, as our listeners, as we're wrapping up, everyone's minds are swimming with this idea of a literacy studio and thinking about agency and understanding and an authentic context for thinking strategies and knowing yes. your students. I mean, it all can fit in that structure and that construct. So I know that everyone is rooting for you to Aww. make that deadline, not just <laughs> your editor. And we will look forward to, you know, hearing more about that and reading about that in the near future. Oh, thanks, Michelle. I just want to um, applaud and, and um, really, really promote this book, Phenomenal Teaching. I haven't had it very long and I've, I haven't dug into it as deeply as I will, but I, um, I, I am, I'm so, so excited and impressed about how you have synthesized so much about great teaching and learning into this extremely practical tool. It's just like the PEBC's work coming to life in these pages. Um, and it's, it's just so usable. So, um, congrats to, to Wendy, the, um, author, but I know that there are, that this reflects the work of the PEBC staff developers for decades. And it is just glorious to see it all in one place. So run, don't walk to buy this book listeners. I'm just, I'm very, very excited about it. And the podcast that's going to accompany it. I can't wait to listen to the other people that you're interviewing, Michelle. Ellen, thank you so much. And thank you so much for your time today. You are most welcome. And thank you, all of you. Well, we'll see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. We hope our time together bolstered your agency and understanding. PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and works locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding, as described in Wendy Ward-Hoffer's newest book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC provides customized on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. <laughs>